Hey there, guys. I wanted to drop in real quick to talk to you about a brand new offer that I've put together just for you. It truly is going to revolutionize the way that you do business. I am offering a 90-minute strategy session that's also going to give you a visual roadmap that will guide you over the next six months to be able to accomplish any author goal you want to make happen. So here's the thing. We all need some one-on-one guidance sometimes. And the whole idea behind this is to give you the one-on-one personalized experience that you're really craving and get you on the road to your greatest success, right? That's all we really want for you. So if you're curious about how this is going to work, head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash visual map and learn more about it today. The Indie Author Revolution has been around for more than a decade but we indies continue to push the boundaries of what we're capable of, from getting over initial prejudices to staring down perfectionism and author imposter syndrome. We've become a force to reckon with. Now, after years of hustle and grind, we indies are rebelling again. Gone are the days of publishing a book a month until we drop, and in its place we're sowing the seeds of a better way. A way with more ease, abundance, and flow. Get ready to learn about indie authorship from a whole new perspective. We're about to cover everything from releasing your poverty mentality to manifesting your millionaire author destiny. I'm Carissa Andrews, and this is the Author Revolution Podcast. Well, hi there, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Author Revolution Podcast. If you are hearing this on the day it airs, Happy Thanksgiving to those of you who are in the United States. Thanksgiving is tomorrow in 2023. Hard to believe it's already here. This year has just flown by. It really has just, I blinked and now we're here in November and it's almost December and then it'll be over. It's crazy. My brain has already started working out my plans for next year. It's already going into that like prep for 2024 mode. And For those of you who have listened to the podcast over the years, that's kind of what happens. Like my brain just starts working on like, okay, we're coming to the end of this sucker. So now we need to assess how this year went, think about how next year is going to go, start mind mapping the plans, start figuring it out, writing it down on paper, start coming up with the solutions or the creative endeavors, blah, 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 right? It's just how my brain works. It's like the time of the year just makes me want to <laughs> go into planning mode. Maybe it's the Virgo side of me, or maybe it's the fact that there is some neurodivergence that has always been a part of my life. Now, today we're going to be having a conversation all about neurodivergency with Quinn Ward. Many of you are going to know Quinn Ward from Brian Cohen's Author Ad School. And the conversation that we have is just so timely because. I've always been the type of person who kind of looks at how brains work, how we perceive the world, how that perception impacts how we function, how we, you know, drive forward, how we come up with our stories, how we do basically everything, right? It impacts everything from manifestation to the way that we look at the future, the way that we look at new tools like AI. It impacts how we believe we can accomplish things or maybe sometimes don't believe we can accomplish things. It's a very important part of our lives and aspects that sometimes we're not even aware we're either you know drawing from or we're not aware that we're leaning into it or we're not aware that it's even a part of ourselves. And so this conversation, I hope what you get from it is that If you have symptoms or signs of being neurodivergent in any way, shape, or form, you know, if you have autistic tendencies, if you have ADHD tendencies, if you are, you know, functioning through depression or anxiety, all of these things, they're just ways that our brain is working and know that, you know, there is no one only way towards success as an author. Like being an author it's all a personal journey. Being a a successful author is ours specifically. And so being neurodivergent in any way, shape, or form, it really is just understanding how your perception, how your world works based off of the way your brain operates so that you can move forward more confidently in the future, knowing that like it's okay that your brain and the way it works is perfectly acceptable for how you want things to go. Like you were born with this for a reason. And so your perception is valid 
it has meaning and like you're giving new insights to the way the world can be seen for those of us or for those who don't have the same exact viewpoint. Now, it doesn't really matter what that means or what that is. Like we can have vastly different ideas on how, you know, manifestation should work, or maybe we shouldn't be using manifestation or how romance should look or how, you know, you shouldn't be using certain tropes or you should be using certain tropes. Like all of these things are so important in the contrast that we experience through our lives, you know, not just in writing, but in writing, obviously, as well. That contrast helps us to see in a more holistic way. It helps us to walk through this world with a better knowledge base, with a more, you know, comprehensive meaning than we had if we were just living with our own thoughts alone. Like we go crazy if we're only dealing with our own thoughts. And so we need those outside perspectives to give us some clarity and to give us some more meaning to the way our processes, the way that we want our world to work, the way we want our author careers to be. And so I think you're going to find this conversation with Quinn very insightful. So without further ado, we're going to go right into it and have fun. Enjoy. Well, hi there, Quinn. I'm so excited to finally bring you on the show. I, I find you so hilarious and fascinating and super, super cool. I mean, we talked at IngersCon and I mentioned in the introduction um, how we've met and, and talked before, but before we get started on this interview, do you want to tell my audience a little bit more about who you are and what you sure. do and all about yourself? <laughs> all about myself. Well, that can yeah. take forever. So the, the the intro that I love to give people is I am a former Zamboni driver who has been kicked out of the PTA several times. Uh, that's part of that's part of my, my author bio because both of those are true. Okay. But I've been writing and publishing since 2013 was when I published my first book, Somewhat on a Dare. Nice. Into it, right? <laughs> and when you come into it somewhat on a dare, the the problem is you don't necessarily take the time to really learn how to do this as like a business type thing. Sure. And so I tell people I spent the first seven years of my career completely screwing up everything so that now I can be the older sibling and be like, <laughs> don't do what I did. You know, it's right. Just like I have I have two younger brothers and two stepbrothers, but I didn't grow up with my stepbrothers, but for my younger brothers, you know, it's very much don't do what I did. Don't yeah. screw up the same ways I did. And so now that's kind of what I do for authors. So I love it. I love that so yeah. much. <laughs> First of all, I love the fact that you were a Zamboni driver because I'm in Minnesota. You know, obviously you grew up, you grew up in Wisconsin, right? I did. But the irony here is I didn't start driving a Zamboni until I moved to North Carolina. What? Yeah, that is hilarious. Like what happened know, there? Right? Okay, now I got to hear this story. How did that happen? So we moved down here and my son had played one, uh, one season of hockey in Wisconsin. Okay. And, and, and that was like, literally, you know how it is up North. This was a park shelter that you, it, it was super cheap to play because you literally had to help put the walls on the building and you okay. had to like lay everything down and put up the boards and <laughs> like, it was parent, parent run. Right. So yeah. you only a hundred dollars for the season. Nice. And, uh, but then we moved down here and I don't know anybody. My kids don't know anybody wanted to get my son back into hockey. So we get him skating. My daughter wanted to try skating. So now she's skating. She decides she wants to take figure skating lessons. And I can see these dollar signs just like <laughs> uh -huh. going faster and faster. And yep. so I, I literally, I got a job at the ice rink down here and it was going to be one day a week. That was it. Because that was going to give me enough hours to get the discount on the ice time and on the lessons and everything else. I'm like, nice. I'm in. And uh, so between 20, that was late 2016. And I, I left there during COVID. But it oh, went wow. from one day a week to me being the guest services director, full-time salary management. Oh my gosh. And, 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 you know, the irony here is, so 2019 was my worst year of writing income. Okay. Because I was, as my hours went up, my writing. writing in, sure. And, and your attention and so, to your career went down, right, I would right. imagine. And so late 2019 at 20 books in 2019, I, uh, I made myself the promise I was going to leave my job by the last day of the school year in 2020. Nice. <laughs> and the universe was like, here, how about this? Yeah, here, let's, <laughs> let's bump up that timeline, you know? So it right. wasn't really the last day of school because I had to work after my kids got, after the schools closed down, but yeah. 
So, you know, late April of 2020, I was done and I've been doing this full time ever since. I love it. I love it. (laughs) So how many books do you have out now? Around 30-ish. That's great. So the majority of those were actually prior to 2019. Okay. Um, The interesting thing is I've had my best years since I slowed down, since I learned what I was doing. And and basically just said like, I can't, I can't stand the hamster wheel anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Really had to take a step back and be like, okay, there's gotta be a better way because burning myself out is not going to do it. I think so many of us authors have done that too, where we think, I mean, obviously the 20 books craze when it first came out and people were like, oh my God, people can write that many books that fast. You know, it was like, uh, it was this aspirational, like, wow moment. But then as people try to apply it, we realized not everybody can do it (laughs) and not not everybody can do it well or can do continue doing it long-term. Like it might be great for a short period, but it it burns a lot of us out very quickly. Right. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's, let's talk about this. So obviously you are known for being a part of Brian Cohen's Amazon ad school, but I found it super interesting when we were talking at IncrisCon that you're actually really passionate about helping authors who are neurodivergent. So do you want to explain what that is just a little bit and then how your interest came about in it? Sure. Sure. So basically, you know, my interest came about because again, it was at one of the 20 books conferences and, uh, I'm sitting there and it was a productivity. Okay. Okay. Who doesn't need help with productivity? Right. Right. (laughs) And I sit down and look, I'm sure that this advice works really well for a lot of people, but for a lot of authors, they probably had the same reaction as me because it all boiled down to, you just got to sit your butt in the chair. And it's like, (laughs) oh, geez, if only I thought of this. If I just sit down and write. And the problem there is it's like on, on the surface, it sounds like a great idea, mm-hmm. but there are some of us who you just can't. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we need somebody to say, you know, it kind of goes along with, with Becca's, you know, question the premise, right? Yeah. 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 Because it really, it does all come down to that. And it's like, okay, but what if that doesn't work for me? What am I supposed to do? What yeah. is the alternative? Yeah. And I really saw that there's nothing out there that really has that. But if sitting, you know, like, have you thought about the fact that you can be sitting in your car and that can be considered button chair time, or you can go out for a walk and that can be button chair time or thinking is still part of the writing process, you know, all these things and really just opening people's eyes and making them see like, it doesn't just mean sitting your butt in an office chair yes. at a desk with a keyboard and everything else. Yeah, and, and because really, writers need to have that playtime in their minds. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of times the advice that we hear can wind up actually like being really damaging to somebody who's already struggling Sure. because it's like, well, if this wildly successful author and all these other wildly successful authors all say button chair is what it's going to take to be successful. I can't, I yep. can't, you know? Yeah. And so I guess I'm just never going to be there. And it's oh, like, and no, that's no, the default no, no, thinking. No. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. And sense. so really, and it, it's funny because the more I look into mindset and everything, I'm like, yeah, these two things kind of go hand in hand because it's about reframing and really yeah. just getting getting methods that work with you instead of against you. For sure. Now, neurodivergency, as far as I'm aware, it like includes the spectrum from like autism to ADHD to like other, other non-degenerative things, right? Not, not only that, but it can even include depression, anxiety, all of that. It, all of that is some form of neurodivergence. Okay. And at least from my understanding, look, I'm a writer, not a doctor. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I still had to go to Google last night when I was like researching something about a broken arm for a character. Right. I, had, I did not go to med school. Okay. Yeah. But like all of these things, think about it this way. All of these things can impact how our brain functions in order to help us do the writing. Yeah, for sure. And and so I really, I don't ever, even though a lot of times I'll talk about ADHD. Well, that's where my experience is. That's where my lived experience is. And so 
I can research other things and everything, but that's a, that's my lived experience. B it's kind of the most common, sure. you know, and, and there are a lot of people who are just now finding out a way that's yeah. what that is. That like, is super interesting I, to me. Right. Yeah. So how did yeah. you fi- find out that you had ADHD then? Like, what was that so, process like? So first of all, I have my, my sister-in-law love her to death. She uh, is a teacher and she used to run a, a preschool and she told me for a year, she's like, if ever there was a child who was ADHD and, and I kind of saw it, you <laughs> know, you're like, what? yeah, yeah. But then we finally got my son diagnosed and it was like, you know, it's so funny because both my kids have ADHD and they both present with so many of the like stereotypical ways that boys or girls present. Okay. And it's funny because like, we didn't really think about it for my daughter because she is that high functioning and everything else. But then you start seeing that these are signs of ADHD and it's like, oh, okay. Do you have any examples? Like what what um, kind of examples should people be looking for? One, you know, part of it is, boy, now I'm like, now I'm on the spot and I'm like, Ah! (laughs) like, because I would send her TikToks when I would see like, you might have ADHD. And this was after she was diagnosed. It was not the the diagnosis tools, right? Sure, sure. It was kind of like, after you buy a blue car, you see blue cars everywhere. Yes. you know, just in like for her, she gets super, super chatty, okay. right? Or the hyperfixation on on things. But it can also be like an inability to focus in a certain manner. Okay. Uh, you know, the people pleasing and and just all these different things. And I, you know, like I I know as soon as we get done with this call, I'm gonna be like, and this, and this. And this. <laughs> you That's know? okay. When the social media posts go out, you can be like, oh, by the way, here's some more information. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly, exactly. I'll talk about the blog posts and everything about them because oh, fun. Yeah. I love it. That is so, so that cool. They were diagnosed, and then after that, it was like, you know, there, this is a genetic condition. And as I'm like learning more about my children. I'm learning more about me and I'm like, well, crap. <laughs> you know, like, and and for me, it wasn't even a matter of like, I thought I was functioning really, really well. Right. Until I had the diagnosis and I went on medication and all of a sudden I'm actually functioning well. It's like, oh no, oh. you just learned how to cope. Gotcha. You know? and, yeah. and that's the thing is like it, you know, you think back to when we were younger, that just wasn't really a thing. No, and it then really when wasn't. It did, and then when it did become yeah. a more known issue, you know, obviously I'm, and I'm not saying it didn't exist, but it was, it was one of those hush hush things that you just didn't talk about, you know? Yeah. 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 But then it, there was such a stigma around it. And it I was. love that we're kind of now getting to a point where there's not the same stigma because yeah. it's like, you know what, there's not a stigma around somebody being diabetic, no. you know? Yeah. Like, why would you're diabetic? Be? You take medication for it. You have high blood pressure. <laughs> Take medication for it. Why shouldn't yep. this be the same? You know? So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's like, if you think you might, and you can get a, an official diagnosis, or if you think you need medication for it, get it, you know, the yeah. other, but the flip side of that coin is if you think you have it, and I think I have it is enough for you, you're still valid. Oh, right. Yeah, like sure. it's no, it's not any less valid just because you don't have a doctor signing a piece of paper saying, yeah, Carissa has ADHD. Right. No, like if right. you, if you, I don't, and I don't personally, I don't care if you go on TikTok and you see 8,000 videos about, you know, these are signs of ADHD. And in every one of them, you feel incredibly called out. <laughs> I know a lot of people who that was, that was like how they kind of self-diagnose. Cause they're like, Oh, right. Okay. You know, my experience has been very similar to yours where it's like, we, we suspected my son being autistic for a very long time. Like he's had so many of the symptoms and his best friend since kindergarten was autistic and, you know, like energies are attracted to like energies. They understood each other. And when we, when I was finally going for full custody for my kids, it was like, it's time. We need to know what's going on with him. And we found out he's, he's definitely autistic. He's on the, what would have been the Asperger's side of the spectrum. He does have ADHD, he has a little bit of obsessive compulsive disorder, mm-hmm. just a little bit. But then we, we checked my other children as well. And they, they both have ADHD. So it was like, okay, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, my, my youngest son 
it has no ties to my to older as father. So I'm like, where does that ADHD stem from? You know, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> okay, <me. laughs> I'm the problem. It's me, hello right. Taylor Swift. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. So I, I officially have not been diagnosed, but I definitely see, especially the hyperfixation on things and trying like I have to dig into things and I have to understand them. I have to pick them apart. I have to look at them from all angles. That's definitely a a thing that I I do a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and well, and like another one for me that was a big one was, oh, that's why I have all these different crafts that I was obsessed with for a period of time. You know, yeah. over, like this is this is over behind me over here. The, there's kind of like a crafts graveyard. Okay, it's got, it's got my fiber bats from when I was like doing <laughs> yarn spinning, which I still love to do at times. But then I've got the cricket and I've got the scrapbooking and I've got the woodworking, you know, the wood burning thing over here. And, you know, I've gotten the button maker. And, yeah, I love it. Like all the things, yeah. you know. And it's, yeah. so many of us are just known to be as multi-passionate. So <laughs> not ADHD, multi-passionate. That's what we are. Right. right. Yeah. I love that phrase. That's what I'm going to call it from now right? on. Everything. Right. That's all it is. I love that. I personally can't like. I can't sit and just do one thing. The re- repetition of it will drive me bonkers. So I can't just sit and only write nonstop all year long. I can't do that. It, it will drive me literally bonkers. And so I like to switch between, you know, teaching a class or creating the website or because I was a graphic designer in a past life uh, <laughs> or, you know, whatever, whatever <laughs> it is, like switching up different things. I have to do it. Otherwise, I will drive myself bonkers and I will start to hate my manuscripts. I'll hate writing and I'll hold it against it. <laughs> so it's like ah. I can't, I can't do it. And so I've learned that about my, my own brain that in order to function and be a good writer, I need to have a little bit of break between. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Okay. So you, you've already mentioned that if you suspect you're neurodivergent to obviously either get tested, or if you're happy with just like thinking about it and assuming you are go with it. But one of the things that I find really interesting about neurodivergent authors or people in general is that they have so many wonderful strengths and they think it's a weakness. So do you have any ideas or any like thing that you could throw out there that would be a benefit to being neurodivergent as an author? You know, anything can be a benefit. It it really can, you know, but I'm, I'm always cautious about being like, yes, this is our, our superpowers, ADHD authors, you know, because it really... Like, it just depends on the time. Sure. Because it, look, I will tell you one of the best neurodivergent superpowers when it comes to writing is I will not write a dang thing. But if I know that I have a deadline, my deadline is coming up. <laughs> I, I think I know where you're going with that. <laughs> right, right. I will write like 30,000 words in the three days before that deadline. <laughs> get this book done and I am going to be sitting there not that I've done this and and Liz my my editor like she actually on on the manuscript I was telling you about before we were recording that I hated like this book just drained me so much and she actually sent me messages she's like you know I love you but like (laughs) you have to get me this book and I'm like I know (laughs) normally and and even then it was like rushing towards the end but then the last book I had to get to her I went ahead and I got it finished and I'm doing my read through and my self revisions and everything else. And I'm like sending her messages going, I promise I'm going to get this one to you on time, you know? Yeah. And I yeah, did yeah. Hours and she's sending me back. She's like, no, I look tonight's the night you were supposed to send it. You're good. Everything else. But I really like, and that is one thing with people who are neurodivergent is like that just procrastinate. It's not laziness either. You know, it's yeah. literally like the, the whole executive dysfunction and time blindness and all these other things, you know, they all pile up and, but then we somehow manage to get it done. It's called Parkinson's law. You know what that is, right? I do not. I, okay. So Parkinson's law is that time will expand or contract if it, or work will expand or contract if it's time allotted for it. So if you, if you just let it go and let it go, but then all of a sudden you're like, dang, I need to get this thing done now. You'll get it done. Yeah. Yeah. See, I didn't know the name, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's like, that's one of the things that, and, and for, again, there is no one true way. That's the biggest takeaway from all of this is like, even though I'm going to say this right now, if this doesn't work for you and it cripples you, then it's not for you. But like not having a deadline and just being like, I want to write this book. Well, you know what, if I want to write, I have a book that I desperately wanted to write. 
And I had a really horrible deadline set for myself. Okay. I, I really did. No, it was, it was a book and I still absolutely love the premise, but the premise of this book was, it was going to be like a dual love story where the granddaughter winds up finding a box of letters that her grandfather had sent her grandmother from Korea. Oh, wow. But as she starts reading them, they weren't from grandpa. Oh, and they were actually from somebody who was a soldier during Korea that she okay. thought had died and this, that, and the other thing. And I really like, that was the book I wanted to write for my grandma. Right. Oh my gosh. And yeah. so it, it was a case of, I want to write this so that she can read it before she dies. Yeah. 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 That's what we don't know when somebody's going to die. Yeah. There was not a time bound end on that. And so now we've missed that deadline, oh, you know? No. And so it's like, and yeah. so these, these don't work for yeah. me. That doesn't. But if I email my editor and I'm like, all right, when can I get this in? You know what? If I emailed her today and she said, get me the book by August 20th. And I hadn't even started the book. I will find a way. You know, right. one of my most successful right. books went from concept to author copies in hand to me being at a table in Vegas in less than a month. Holy cow. That's amazing. Okay. I about killed myself, but I... <laughs> I, I I was using a cover bottle for the cover. I was doing a signing in Vegas and I found out that he was going to happen to be in Vegas at the same time, not for the signing. Yeah. He was going to be in Vegas with his friends. And he's like, oh, I totally stopped by blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, okay, I guess we have to write this book. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> right. I, I like, I had to read the book after it was all said and done. But the weirdest thing is that's one of the books that, people love the most isn't that interesting from See, early sometimes sometimes when we don't question ourselves and like second guess ourselves a lot then the books just flow as they're meant yeah. to and then other Absolutely. times I feel like I'm putting pressure on myself to write the book and I haven't um played around with the characters enough or I haven't played around with the world enough to really get the emotional impact that I was hoping to do right. does that or, ever happen to you or we try too hard That's you know true too. We just, yeah, yeah seriously like we overthink every little thing and we try too hard and, you know, and it, it just, it ruins it. And guess what? That's, that's one of the things that can happen sure. when we do have these minds that are are prone to hyperfixation and overthinking and, you know, rejection sensitivity, like everybody's going to hate this. If I, I sent my friend a message <laughs> this morning, I'm like, okay, so this is, a, this is what would be said. We're dealing with construction workers. I'm like, this is what would be said on the work site. But am I going to get absolutely hammered if I put this in the book? And she's like, it's absolutely what would be said. And I'm like, yeah, but are people going to like be really ticked off at me if I put this in the book? Because we all, well, we all know that like yeah. work sites are not necessarily the cleanest, sweetest places in the world. Right. And, you know, <laughs> go figure. And, I mean, there's my house. Like literally right. my house is a construction zone because I'm calling and I'm hearing swear words constantly all day long right right and and so I'm like all right well I guess we're gonna do it but you know we get into this where we really like anything that doesn't go well it's gonna absolutely destroy my career see and I I, I feel like if I prepare myself for that I I'm okay like for for me for instance with this midlife wolf maids book three in this series of five I knew I had to do something different with the plot line. So I twisted it just slightly so that my main character isn't as strong. Like she, she it's like, she almost had to revert back to who she was a little bit with her ex-husband because he's, he's now in town. And so even though she's a werewolf, even though she's now an alpha werewolf, like I knew I had to kind of have her revert back just a little bit so that she can ultimately in the end, by the end end, kick right, some right. ass. Right. Yep. And I'm like, I know there's going to be some people who are like, Oh, Ella's lost her touch. She's no longer as meh. And I'm like, I'm doing it deliberately. Damn it. You know? I know. I know. Right. But if you don't understand. Mind, like, right. But see, like you're already getting defensive. You're yeah. preemptively getting defensive because you're yeah. like, people are going to hate this thing. You know what? People might absolutely. What if people are like, she's still like, she's a real person with flaws and everything else. And the majority right? of them have been that way. But then you see the one where I'm like, I'm never going to read this series again because she changed. And you're like, see, there it is. Yeah, it. Yep. You have complete <laughs> justification. And isn't it funny that, that the one bad review 
completely justifies everything and completely <laughs> has the power to negate every I, single person who loved it. I mean, I'm still going to go forward with it. I don't care, but it's still like, damn it. Shush, don't you understand? Why don't you understand? Right? That's why I, I, I now, I actually, I've started trying to have, if it's a continuation of a series, I will try to be at least like 20% into drafting the next book by the time the book comes out. Okay. okay. So I have a book coming out at the end of this month and I need to figure out, am I continuing it or not? But if I do, I need to get drafting it because I want to make sure that I have started drafting the book so that I can't let anything that is said around release or if Amazon has one of its glitches and my release doesn't go the way that I want it to or whatever, yep. right? Yep. All of that will impact my writing ability so much. Okay. And, you know, and so it's, if you, but if you get that head start, well, now I'm already working on this thing. That ball is rolling. Yeah. So now, now I got even, momentum there. It's like, whatever. Right. And even if I, I, I come on a tiny little uphill, it's, a lot different than starting at the base of the hill, you know? Absolutely. Even if we have to push a little bit harder, we're going to get it over that hump and keep it going. That's really, that's really smart. So speaking of that, so those are some really good tips on how to keep going. So are there other methods that authors can use or implement in order to, you know, keep their, their work flowing the way that it needs to? So one of the biggest things is we, we tend to, if I have a bad day, I broke the chain. I broke the streak. I did this. I did that. Right. And so one thing that one of my coaches introduced me to, and this was probably three years ago or so, but basically she used the stoplight system and she used it originally. She would use it with some of her other students as far as like executive dysfunction and everything else. Okay. So the example she would give is you have to eat every day, right? Like theoretically you are going to eat every day. But if you're having a bad day and you don't have a plan, that's when, and you hear this a lot when you're, you know, doing different diets or whatever, that's when you wind up going through the drive-thru and wasting a bunch of money or calling for pizza or whatever. Yep. And then you feel bad because I didn't do what I was going to do and blah, blah, blah. And so she used a stoplight system. So if I'm having a great day, I'm going to make dinner at home. Okay. I have... I know that I have rice and I have pork loin and I have broccoli in the fridge and that's what's going to be dinner as long as I'm still having a green day. Yeah. But you know what? If I'm having a yellow day, then we've got frozen pizzas or we've got little appetizers and such, or we have in our house, we always keep like brats and sausages, <laughs> Wisconsin so, kids, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know that's, that's a perfect dinner right there. And, you know, but things that you can very quickly make. Mm-hmm. But then if I'm having a red light day, Right. If I'm just really struggling with that whole eating part, my my go to lunch, if I'm having a rough day, is actually I'll grab the package of lunch meat ham. And some pickles and do like a roll up. And I will wrap a pickle in ham and that's lunch. But you know what? You ate. Yep. Yeah. That's all that matters. And so the same thing applies with our writing. Okay, if it's a writing day. This is my goal right? I want to write 2,500 words a day. That's what I want to do. Okay. But not every day is going to be a green light day. And so then I'm going to say, okay, but if I write a thousand words a day, then I know I'm still going to meet my deadline. I'm not going to have, it's not going to be a day where I add to a buffer or anything like that, but I'm still moving forward. So that's my yellow. Yep. You know what? If I'm having a red light day, and this is the actual number that we came up with with my coach that I now teach the authors that I work, 50 words. I love it. If yeah. you write 50 words, two, one of two things is going to happen. Either you know that you achieved your goal because you set your red light goal to 50 words. Yep. And you can now walk away knowing I achieved my goal. The streak still stands. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. Or I'm going to write that 50 words and I'm going to be like, you know what? All right. That, that wasn't torture. I'm going to see if I can write a hundred more words. And then I'm going to see if I can write another hundred and then, yeah. and really just take it like baby steps, itty bitty baby step at a time. Yeah. And you'd be amazed at like what you can do. I and love so that's, that. 
you know, that's the biggest thing there is have a plan ahead of time so that I know what my goals are. Like if I'm, if I'm feeling good and check in with yourself, you, oh, yeah. can have, you can have a green light morning, but then you get that phone call or, you know, a kid comes home from school sick or the internet goes out, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it throws your day off. Oh yeah, for what sure. Do you, do? do you throw the day in the garbage can or do you reassess and be like, all right, green light is not going to happen. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Like, right. Okay. Look, it was looking green this morning. Like a mighty red <laughs> should, have, should have wrote this morning, but it's here right, right now. <laughs> right? No, and well, and that's the other thing is figure out like for me, a huge thing is if I put what's most important first in the morning. Yep. Even yep. if that requires, and it may not be, it's not going to be, I'm going to write 2,500 words in the morning in order to maintain a green light day on a writing day. It might be, I'm going to, depending on on like time and being flexible, you know, be flexible with yourself because nothing needs to be set in stone. But there are times where it's, as soon as I sit down at my desk, I'm going to do a 25 minute writing spread. Okay. Love it. Or I'm going to sneak in five minutes of writing before this meeting that I have. One of my favorite ones though, is one that I, so I do coaching with Terry on Becca's team. Nice. And one thing that he recommended that I have done and it works pretty well is tell yourself you have to write before you're allowed to, your feet are allowed to hit the floor. I don't so know if I could do that. <laughs> have the, I have the laptop next to, but see, here's the thing. If I tell, and it's now, it's not going to be 2,500 words before my feet are allowed to hit the floor. Yep. But I have to do something to prime the pump. Sure. Okay. See, and I read first thing in the morning that gets my, my brain going. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that again, whatever's going to help you. But for me, it was, he told me, he's like, you know what, just to make sure, because as soon as your feet hit the floor, you have to, you know, go ahead and take your shower and make breakfast and get the kids out the door and do this and do that. And oh, I've got to make that phone call and I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Your writing is done. Your, your writing time is gone. Yep. Right. Yeah. But if I say I need to pull out my phone or I need to pull out my laptop, and write for 10 minutes, I notebook, whatever, and write for 10 minutes. I have now primed that pump. That's interesting. That reminds me of Abraham Hicks and the way they, they talk about segment intending where it's like, it's, it's similar, but it's not like, you don't actually have to do it. You're literally in bed and you're thinking about like the next segments of your day or the next moments that you're going to be doing. So you're, you're preemptively putting your vibration into that space of like having, you know, whatever the next few steps are typically, because right. b- before you do your writing, you would actually do it right before that segment of the day. Uh, so you wouldn't have to go as far out as like when I get to my writing aspect of it, but it, like, let's say even before you started writing in your bed, you just like, it's going to flow easily. This is going to be wonderful. The story is going to be talking to me. Characters are really fabulous. You know, like you're, you're basically telling yourself what you expect to see in that segment be- before it happens, before you do it before you get out of bed, before you do any of those things. And that's when you start the segment intending. So each each time you move into a different part of your day, you take a brief moment just to think about like, how is this segment going to go? How is this going to get to work for me? Is that neat? I love that. I, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that that's, you know, and it's funny because that was always, all that stuff was all that woo-woo type stuff that I was like, oh, whatever, you know? <laughs> now I'm like, I, I don't know if I can make it work for me, but it sounds cool you know I yeah mean, right I think that that's a normal part of the phase it totally is no, like, I think that skepticism is healthy for sure right right yeah and, you know, and like when I I wonder if the the neurodivergence and all of that kind of plays a role in that whole mm-hmm. being unable to suspend your your skepticism and everything and just be like sure. just all into it, just slide into it and see. Well, it's also the momentum too, because you have momentum of thought thinking this thing is not true, or this thing's not like accurate, or this thing's not based in science or this, you know, whatever your momentum of thought might be on yeah. it. And so then it, it removes you from the capability of seeing it from that creative perspective of what if, what if it exactly. is true? So right. it's, it's almost like you have to give yourself permission to just experiment with it and see what happens. You're like, yeah. I'm gonna, it's going to be an experiment. Then I'm just going to experiment and see how it goes. Right. Right. Yeah. Then it becomes no big deal. It's like, it doesn't have to work and it doesn't have to not work because you're not trying to prove anything necessarily. You're just playing with the, the concept of it. Absolutely. So, yeah. That's interesting. That. 
but I, I totally get it. Like I grew up in a household where like my dad is very scientific, scientific. And he was like the computer guy. My mom was like the acrylic artist painter, like, woo, you know, she was constantly painting something. So I had like these two very like different people in my life. And then my brother is, you know, he's an atheist and he's very scientific. He's a, he's a physics major. So he's, you know, been at the UMD doing a lot of like atom smashing and stuff like that. So he's very, Nice. very scientific and so it's like for me I'm kind of like that weird mix between everybody <laughs> so it's like <laughs> I don't even know like half the people in my like my family just is they're so fascinated and the other half are like what <laughs> like, yeah. what's happening right now <laughs> who are you what that. is happening I love that so uh, do you have any recommendations on how authors can find the methods that work best for them like uh, there are, are there any books or any classes or should they talk to you like what no. what what ways help them figure out how their brain works? So the biggest thing is experiment, play around. Yeah. Do not, seriously, do not be tied to one specific method. You know, I know it, it I, look, I have a decade of experience that tells me I am not a plotter. <laughs> you know what? I will still try different plotting methods because maybe there's something I can pick up. And that's the biggie. If this itty bitty piece of this method works for you, go ahead and scroll that away. Oh, heck yeah. Because now that piece works for you. And if that piece over there works for you, pull that in and use that. You know, examples here are like, I practiced a lot of, you know, trying to get into doing dictation and I, I kind of go in fits and starts with it, but reading foolproof dictation and they have part of their process is they have one of the exercises. It's like you do two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Okay. So you do sprints, dictation sprints at each of those yeah. lengths. Okay. And their method is that you're going to basically redo that scene to expand it and dictate it because each time you learn more about the scene. Okay. And my brain goes, that's stupid. I don't have <laughs> I'm serious. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing against those. So you're saying for, they but, have to repeat it each time? Right. Same basically, scene? it's almost like it's almost like sketching it and then going in and putting more detail. That repetition in. would drive me absolutely See, up a wall. Right. And and that was oh. my thing. Like, A, the repetition will drive me up the wall and bore me to tears. But <laughs> like, yes. My time really, like, I don't have time for that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't, it was while I was still working full time. I don't have time for that. The whole reason I'm dictating this, make it faster. <laughs> right. Yeah. But what I did find is if, if I tried sitting down right away and doing 20 minutes of dictation or 20 minutes of typing, it's really hard because I don't necessarily know what I'm doing. I don't know what my characters, you know, where things are going. And it feels like this long chunk of time. Sure. But what I did was I would just do the two, five, 10, 20. Right. Yeah. And each of those was a sprint. But when I did the two, okay, we're priming the pump. When I do the five, I know a little bit more yeah. when I do the 10 now. Okay. Now we're getting on a roll. When I do the 20, typically by the time I do the 20, I have now drafted a full scene. Okay. Okay. Nice. Get up and walk away. Because the other thing that we tend to do is we tend to overdo it. Right. Mm. We're going to fall down the rabbit hole. I don't know what you're talking about. Writing. I know. I don't ever I know. do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, but then like if, if, if you're an author of a certain age, all of a sudden you realize, holy crap, I've been sitting here for three hours and I don't know if upright is going to work for me. Right. Right. And then later that night, you're like, oh, that was really bad. Like I shouldn't have like, my back. Why is, is my me. ass like shaped like my chair? That's weird. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And well, and then the next morning. You're like, if it, if it was typing that got you, you're like my hands. Oh, sure. Like I can't move my hands. And yep. and so it really, but taking those breaks, it also then wound up giving me time to sit there and be like, think about, let's think about what is the next scene going to be and what's going to happen next. Yeah. Right. But the big thing is I figured out that for myself, for the way that my brain works, if you, again, you know, what did, what, what did you call it? Parkinson's law? Yep. Yep. So if I have eight hours to write, <laughs> you're going to take the whole eight hours. I, I can take eight hours to write. This. Yep. Yep. If you tell me that I have just sit here for five minutes and that's all you're going to do. You're just going to think about your writing. There you go. You know, but yep. so it's like, that became a piece that I drew in. 
And then, you know, it was, I might not be able to plot, but I know that having some sort of structure helps. And so now before I start writing a scene, I will sit down and brainstorm what could potentially maybe possibly it might happen. Yep. Yep. Give myself a list of ideas because again, that way I know going into it, I'm not starting, you know, from dead Old. stop. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, just picking up little tips along the way, like putting in placeholders. Look, if you have ADHD, the last thing you need to do is go to Google while you're trying to write. <laughs> okay. Right. right. Because it will be four hours later. <laughs> or TikTok. Oh, dear God. Right. Yeah. You are going to know everything you could possibly need to know on a subject. And your word count is still sitting exactly where it was four hours <laughs> Right. So put in placeholders or like for me, there are times where the thought of writing a sex scene is just torture. See, for me, it's the the fight scenes in urban fantasy. I'm okay. just like, oh, so, <laughs> so here's what you do when you get stuck in that in that spot. So I have a placeholder that says woohoo. OK, oh, like woohoo scene, <laughs> uh, because now I can I can do a search for that. Okay. And I know that that's where I need to go and put that scene in. When you're because, feeling like you want to write it. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. now I might have a day where I'm like, all right, we can do this. We can do this sex scene. We can do this fight scene. And yep. if, if I can do one sex scene, if I can do one fight scene, well, guess what? Now I've primed the pump. I can go write the next one. Oh, sure. Because now you're batching. It. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Not only that, but I no longer worry when I do it that way. I no longer have to worry about, oh my God, are all these scenes going to sound identical? Oh right? yeah, sure. Because it's fresh in your mind. Yep. And so yep. You know, so that was a little nugget that I picked up. And so that's the that. thing is just keep your mind super open. Yep. And just grab the little shinies that work for you. Right. And throw the one of the ones away. that I love too is like when you're writing and you have to stop for the day. Maybe you've maybe you've reached your whole scene. Maybe you haven't. But to stop at the end of or in the middle of a sentence. Because yes. then your brain wants to immediately finish that sentence when you come in. And it's like, it almost puts you right back into that flow of where you were at. Right. Because you, you sit there and you're reading through what you had written the day before. Yep. And all of a sudden you're like, it's not finished. I have to finish it. You know? Yes. And yes. now you're like compelled and you, yeah. Yeah. So all these things, you know, it's so cool. I love, I love how different brains are wired and how it, how we are all, so uniquely ourselves. Like for me, it's always been a fascination. You and I were talking before we got started. I grew up with a brother who had a brain tumor. And so from a very young age, I was just fascinated the way he could go through life and his brain had been affected by, you know, cancer, by radiation, by surgeries, whatever, still functioning, obviously still being, but he was different. Like, right. He was a little right. bit different than he was before the surgeries and before everything, or that my uncle operated differently than my mom or my mom operated differently from her sister. You know, like, it was just always very fascinating to me. And it, oh, yeah. it's just, I think the way that people are wired is just so cool. And the way that it comes across in stories, I think that is a superpower in a sense. So like when you are neurodivergent, I think you're seeing how different people are thinking and how they respond. And so you craft characters who are quirky and fun and different. And that, that really makes for good reading too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and we have, yeah. we have the, this uncanny ability. We just kind of like hold on to the weird stuff that we don't think matters at the time. Yeah. Right. But I am going to pull this out of my hat at, at exactly the moment that I need it. Yeah. And it's good, perfect for this character, you know? And yep. yeah. I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you, you were talking about good days and bad days, right? So do you have any tips on, on that you can help authors with, there we go, when they are having or struggling with one of their bad days or like how they can plan ahead for them? Yeah. So basically just sit down when you're not having a bad day. That's the important part. Okay. Sure. You think about it like you, if you have a cold, that's not the time you want to be going and making chicken soup and buying right. medicine and everything else. Right. Because you're sick and you just want to be miserable. Right. But you know that this stuff is going to make you feel better. So what do you do? You put it on your shopping list while you're healthy. Okay. Right. We're going to do the same thing here. So you're going to sit down and you're going to, for various parts of your business, you're going to say, what is my red light? What is my yellow light? What is my green light? You know, okay. and this can even be with like with launches. Elena Johnson talks about her. I think she calls it like soft, medium and hard launch or something. Okay. Uh, where she, not every launch is going to get the same attention. 
Sure. Okay. I have the so, same too. It's like a, mid, yeah. a book, like 15 books in, it's like, it's not going to be the same as a series starter. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. You know, and, and so, but thinking about that, even if it's your first book, even if it's not a 15 book series, whatever, mm-hmm. what if I'm not in the headspace to oh, do sure. the super hard launch? Yeah. You know, if I'm not in the space, I can do one of two things. I can either adapt which is really hard to do when I'm already not in the space because that's going out to get cold medicine when I already have the cold. Yep. Or I can freeze. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And just be like, well, I guess this release is going to be just absolute crap because I, or I can't the do opposite it. direction goal. It's going to work because no matter what I do, however much energy I put into it, it's still going to be enough. Well, it's see, and that's, and that's too. the thing. That's the thing yeah. is reframing it because what you're doing is you're saying I'm going to have, these, these are what my plans are. These are the things that absolutely have to get done every release, no matter what. Yeah. There's your red light, okay. right? There yep. are things yep. you have to do for a release. Yep. You have to upload the book. You have to, obviously so that's my red light. Okay. These are the things that I would like to do and kind of creating a priority list. Okay. I like to talk about, I have this to-do list that I got from Barnes and Noble that it has three sections and I always forget what they're, they're called. So it says most critical would be nice. Not a chance. Nice. I love okay. that. Yeah, and yeah. they screwed this up because they have two in the not a chance. They have four in the would be nice and they have six in the most critical. I'm like, no, no, no. That's yeah. backward. Yeah. You cannot have the most things are the most critical. Yeah. I agree. So with really that. think about this. What are the most critical things that I have to get done? Yep. Red light. What other things that would be nice? Yellow light. And dang, I'm ready to take on the world. Here's my green light. <laughs> right? I love because that. We're not, in this case, we're not going to call it not a chance. Yeah. Because there's yeah, yeah. totally a chance. But that's when we're feeling good. And yep. get these things prepared while you're feeling good. Um, Or if you're having a green light day, go in and batching is always good. Fall down oh, yeah. the rabbit hole of a task. Okay. Go and make a bunch of teasers. Go and schedule out newsletters for however long. You know, go do whatever the things are that you know are going to need to get done. Yep. So that when you're under pressure and it feels like everything is weighing down on you, that's done. Because that's also going to carry you through. Because if I know I don't have to go and build a newsletter for my release that's going to come out in two weeks, because that's already taken care of, now I can focus on my teasers. Yeah. Now I can focus on getting the arcs ready. Now I can focus on these other things. Oh, that's and, so but smart. But that's the thing is no matter what area of your business it is, plan. And I, I know that, that it, there's a lot of people out there who are probably being like, well, gee, Quinn, if only I could plan. But the thing is, plan when you can. Yeah. And when you're right? feeling it. So yeah. maybe that's where, you're, that's where you're plotting is the the same, where it's like you plot when you're feeling it. So maybe that means plotting those few minutes beforehand. And it just right. is that that brainstorm of the scene. So you're plotting. You're just not doing it in the same way. Exactly. Yeah. You're not plotting a four act you yep. know, structure all at once. And then right. looking at it and being like, well, my characters took that as a hold my beer moment. <laughs> just how far off the rails they could go. You know, which yeah. is typically what would happen every time. I would try to plot the entire story. But yeah, I mean, just figure out, again, figure out what's going to work for you. And here's the thing. If something makes you miserable... Question, why are you doing why, it? Why am I doing this thing? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the thought, and I have just recently gotten back into trying to make TikToks and everything because I do enjoy being on TikTok and because I do like sharing information and things like this. But the thought of trying to just build my book business on TikTok, mm. it's something I can't wrap my head around. Me either. And so it's something that like does not bring me any sort of joy whatsoever because I'm like, I, I stress so hard about it. Yep. And then yep. if it doesn't get the attention that I hoped it would get, now I internalize. And is it that people aren't interested in the book? Is it right. that I suck at making TikToks? What's the problem? <laughs> right? right? Yeah. So you know what? I did one last night. Now I'm just having fun with it. And I'm, yeah. I'm remembering that social media, what is the first word there? Social. Social. Relationships. Yeah. Right? And and so like last night, and it's the best performing video like this week is about somebody who she was making a, a a keto lunch but it was pepperoni and she kept saying mozzarella 
The caption said mozzarella. It was Swiss cheese. Okay. I'm from Wisconsin. <laughs> and as I in this video, I'm a fat kid from Wisconsin. Okay. I know. <laughs> okay. And, and, and so I'm like, no, no, that's not, you know, that's so not. She was putting, she was, she was putting Swiss cheese on her. What, yes. what yes. the hell? <laughs> I mean, it was the craziest thing ever. But, but yeah, so I, I just, I'm like, you can't do that. You know, you can't give it the wrong thing. So yeah, or give it to call it the wrong cheese, but people are resonating with it. So I'm like, all right, I guess he did that right. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess. I mean, when you think about it, because people are either like commenting, like you are like, well, that's the wrong cheese, you know, whatever. It's like, there's this deliberate, right. like, oops, almost, maybe it was deliberate, maybe it wasn't, but right. right. And, and all of that stuff is going to make yeah. it so when the video or when, when I do put up a video about the book, when I do have something to say about the book, now they hear it. Now they get it because I've already, yeah. again, I've primed the pump. Yep. So do things when it matters. Right. So I, I totally get that. I, and I, I feel you on the TikTok thing too. It's like, I, I don't get a whole lot of joy from it either. It's like, sometimes yeah. I do. It's like, sometimes I'm in the vibe of it. And then other times I'm just like, it's just not, it's just not what I'm liking. And, and right. so I have to give myself a little bit of grace. I think part of it too, is a pressure because I'm, I'm definitely one of those people where it's like, if people say you're supposed to be doing it three times a day, then I take that very seriously. Right. But then it's like, I don't want to do it three times a day. <laughs> right. And it's like, so, you know, and, and we run into this with, with ad school a lot where people will be like, you know, Brian will say five to 10 ads a week. Well, people take that to mean you need to do 10. But you can slack off and do five. And it's like, okay. no, that's totally not what it is. <laughs> like five is more than five. Yeah. And you know what? If you can't get five and you can only get three, the world's not going to collapse. You no, know, and it, at least you've but got the, three and, and they're up and right. doing their job. Right. And and yeah. like, let's say you did want to build out your TikTok. Like, is which is going to be better? Oh my God, I can't do three. So I'm going to do none or eh, I got one. Mm, yeah. Right. Yep. They got one this week. That's good enough. <laughs> exactly. You know, and sometimes good enough just has to be good enough. Yeah. 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 So, I totally get that. Well, yeah. to me, it's, it's very much a, like, if it, if it doesn't bring you joy, then why are you doing it? Find the thing that brings you joy and go after that instead. So your time is not as well spent on something that doesn't bring you joy or if you're not able to get to that place of joy in doing it you know what I mean absolutely yeah so what advice do you have for neurodivergent authors who maybe get overwhelmed with all the, these things that they're trying to do like do you have any advice there yeah don't try and do it all yes Seriously. <laughs> like do not try to learn every single thing at once yeah okay because really first of all you're gonna burn yourself out doing yep. that pick the one thing and think about what are my goals right now? What am I working towards right now? Okay. That's the thing I need to be focusing on. So if yeah. I'm looking at building up my newsletter, this is not the time for me to be learning about Facebook ads or learning how to do TikTok or learning how to do whatever direct sales. Right. <laughs> right. But if all of these things are on my radar, again, use that priority list, which one is going to get me the closest. Yep. I love right? that. Which thing, which, which of these tasks will get me closer to my goal? And that's the one that you focus on. I love that. I think there's a lot of times, especially with that multi-passionate aspect of it for a lot of us, where it's like, we see all the things that we want to do and we want to do them all at once. And right. so having one to filter our interest through and having that one specific goal sometimes really does help us to stay focused and in that direction until we get there. Right. I think that's really exactly. key. Yeah, that makes exactly. sense for sure. Well, Quinn, if my listeners want to know more about you, your books, what you do, where do they go to find you? So for the fiction books, you can look at quinnwardwrites.com. And then for the nonfiction, for the ADHD stuff, all of that, that is at writeyourownpath. So that's W-R-I-T-E, yourownpath.com. I love that. <laughs> that is so good. Well, Quinn, thank you so much for coming on to the show and talking about this. I think this is such a, a an important and valuable conversation for people to have and to be thinking about whether they are neurodivergent or not. Absolutely. So, 
Yeah. So Absolutely. thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. That was fun. Well, there you have it. That was our awesome conversation with Quinn Ward. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did having it. For me, talking about neurodivergency, it's just such a fascinating concept to be considering, to be thinking about. You know, as someone who grew up with a brother who had a brain tumor at a very young age, and I experienced, you know, his, uh, I don't know if downfall is the right word. I experienced his decline, really, his, his like cognitive decline. And I was just a kid, right? I, I went from seeing him a certain way to seeing how his thought processes changed because of the brain tumor that was in his brain, the surgeries that he had to have to remove the tumor, the radiation, all the things, and how he came out of that a different person. Like he, he was not the same brother that I had before all of this happened. And so for me, understanding how perception works, how the brain works, how personality is impacted by the way the brain works has always been a part of my, you know, interest platform. Like I've always been interested in that kind of concepts. I've studied a lot of different, you know, theories and I even for a short time considered going into psychology and I've, I've looked into a lot of different things. It's been an interesting life. I'll, I'll tell you that. But one thing that has really you know, continue to impact my life is having kids and finding out that they are, you know, autistic, that they are autistic and that the spectrum that they fall in is on the Asperger's side or that they have ADHD. And maybe that explains some of the reasons why we butt heads or why they think differently or, or communicate differently than the way that I communicate with them. Or even myself, then if they have it, what does that mean about myself and what do I see in them that I myself do? And so it's been interesting for introspection. It's been interesting to be able to figure out, you know, how am I coping versus how is this a, a thing that maybe I'm using as a crutch or can I change or shift or pivot or give myself a little bit more grace? Because as someone who loves to be busy, I love, you know, doing different things. I, I like I said in the podcast interview, I'm not a big fan of doing the same thing for a very long period of time or doing it over and over in the same way. I like to innovate. And when I don't get that opportunity, then I start to get bored or I start to get fidgety or I start to, you know, almost despise my manuscripts or despise having to do the same thing over and over again. It starts to grate on me. And knowing that about myself was very helpful. It's been very insightful to be able to learn and to grow and to trust that it, when it's time to do something different, my brain will tell me. My subconscious already knows, right? And to, to trust that I already know and to trust that, you know, that inner part of me is guiding me towards what really needs to be happening. So as I start thinking about 2024, as I start trusting the way that my brain is already shifting towards those strategies, as I start thinking about, you know, how this year has gone, I'm learning more about myself to know that it's okay to, you know, just lean into that. In the past, I probably would have been like, why am I already thinking about this? Like, I need to get <laughs> NaNoWriMo done. I need to get, you know, the, the Black Friday stuff taken care of. We need to get the sales page up and running. And obviously, I'm still doing all of those things. But it doesn't stop my brain from already thinking about bigger picture plans and thinking about things that are, you know, down the road in a way that helps me to focus my energies better. So at any rate, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Quinn. I love, love talking with Quinn and I can't wait to bring them back. So, oh my goodness. All right, guys, it is Thanksgiving week. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving if you're hearing this live when it airs. I hope you, if you are living in the United States, enjoy a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope the holiday season is joyous for you. I know that this is a time of the year when, you know, mental health isn't always the greatest, right? So if you need help or if you need someone to reach out to this holiday season, please don't hesitate. Like there are people that you can speak with who can help you get through the holiday season. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention is one. If you find yourself needing some extra support this holiday season, reach out to 1-800-273-TALK. Or you can also text TALK, T-A-L-K, to 741741. 
And the helplines for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention are open 24-7, even on holidays. You can also use this number if you're worried about someone else or if you just want to talk and help yourself get through a difficult moment, okay? So if you'd like to download the transcript to today's podcast episode, head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash 210 and you can download it there. But in the meantime, just have a wonderful rest of the week. Enjoy your Thanksgiving if you live in the U.S. or if you're celebrating overseas, wherever you're at. Or just remember to celebrate and take a moment to feel some gratitude for those around you, for the things that are in your life that are helping you to, you know, achieve your goals. It's pretty powerful. When we can lean into our appreciation and our gratitude, we are able to reach new heights, new thought forms, new ways of being. Have a great rest of your week. Go forth and start your author revolution. Okay, indie author, Carissa Andrews with Author Revolution here. We need to have a chat. I know you want to build a sustainable long-term author career, but you can't do it just by wishing for it. It would be nice, yes, but alas, you gotta do the work. By that I mean you need to reframe the way you look at your author business so that you can write and publish more frequently. With Rapid Release Roadmap, my signature online course, I'll help you learn not only how to make writing and publishing four books a year seem easy, but I'll help you master your prolific author mindset so that you can clear away all the negative self-talk that's holding you back. Trust me, I have been there. To learn more about Rapid Release Roadmap, head over to rapidreleaseroadmap.com. Over there, I'll give you all the insights on what you'll find inside the course. Plus, I walk you through all of the bonuses you're going to get based on the payment option you choose. And yes, there are some good ones in there, even if I say so myself. Once again, head over to rapidreleaseroadmap.com to learn more and sign up today.